Studios here in Omaha, Nebraska, recorded live. This is the other kind of radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today is October the 21st. It's Sunday. It's the year 2018. I'm Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. I'm glad you're here. I hope you guys had a good week. Hope it was uh, busy, efficient, profitable. I know mine was. The other On today's show, the we're going to have some headlines. Talk about, the is $900 million too much money? We're going to talk about some of the uh, feedback that's coming back from the developers from Rockstar on the new Red Dead Redemption game. There's some interesting claims and PR work uh, at hand there. And uh, Todd's take on is going to be on Netflix. Netflix is having some interesting decisions they're making. Uh, I'm going to kind of go the way of God of War and give everybody a uh, Call of Duty 4 uh, Battle Royale update a week into the game being available. And on the center stage, we are going to talk about a movie that is getting a lot of making a lot of money and getting a lot of headlines. Uh, and that is the movie uh, A Star is Born. We there's, no, there's some spoilers, but we'll give you a heads up once we get there. So that's enough of me yapping. Let's go ahead and see if I can um, get all the old tuner out here. I know he's at home. Let's see. Come in, Todd. Todd, come in. Do I come in through the front door or the back? Whenever it's radio waves, do you come in through the ceiling somehow? <laughs> what is it? Where, where do you want me to come in? Well, actually, what the way you're coming in right now is through uh, network. So you're all oh. you're all ones and zeros. Ooh, that, that's why I feel kind of bad this morning. Well, I, you know, it's weird because when you're a one, you're, it's very slimming, looks really good. But then when you turn into a zero, then then it's more like what I look like now. <laughs> that may be the deepest thing you've ever offered on this podcast. I think we're going to in. Thank you, kind listener. We're done. That's it. Right. Drop the mic. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Give us a uh, give us a shoulder update. How are you doing? What kind of pain are you in? Are you still taking drugs? I am almost three weeks post-surgery, uh, no drugs, outside of the, because I still have to sleep sitting up, and that's for at least another three to five weeks that I have to sleep sitting up, which sucks. Which, uh, but, and do you have to sleep with your eyes open? Pretty much. And now that really sucks because I have to put little stereo strips right there and hold my eyes completely open. My wife says it looks a little creepy, but I wouldn't know because I'm asleep while I'm sitting up with my eyes open. Right. Oh, sleeping, sitting up. Oh, yeah, that's got to be a, probably about an eight or nine on the uh, on the difficulty scale with me. There's no way I could do it. It, it, you find yourself slumping down, and that that what lead that's what leads to when you asked if I was still taking pain medication. No, but I do take muscle relaxers occasionally because during the day, this lovely apparatus that is holding my shoulder in a somewhat steady position digs into my back, and it's one of those where if I don't take a muscle relaxer, I'm like, oh god, my back's killing. Me. Okay, um, I've got a question. When you take a muscle relaxer, right? So that sounds singular. Does it does it relax just that one muscle, or is it all your muscles? All of them. Oh, so it should I, be should be a muscles relaxer. It should be. <laughs> um, I constantly think of my favorite songwriter of all time, Bruce Springsteen, who refers to the sleep of the dead in a number of songs. Because I sleep the sleep of the dead. You really don't dream very much, and when you do, they're kind of bizarre dreams. And is it one of those things where you kind of slowly come out of it as you're waking up? It's not like you wake up and you're ready to go. It's like you're just still trying to like figure out what's going on around you. I feel like I am when I wake up. I feel like I'm stepping into a can of Campbell's cream of chicken soup. That's pretty pretty descriptive. I don't know if I've ever done that. I need to put that on well, my bucket list. I'm going to send you one of these muscle relaxers through the mail, and when it gets there in about a week, you can try it, and you'll see what I mean. That sounds We've great. completely gone off the rails. Now we need to stop. I'm getting my aggressive typewriter out. Wait for it. 
it's time for headlines. Uh, our first headline comes to us from. Oh, and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get roasted for this. Um, is it? Do you pronounce it? Kotakau, Koteku, K O T A K U. Do you know how to say that? Uh, where what? The website that we're getting this the the rock star headline from. I don't. You're on your own with that one. I have no idea how to say Kotaku. it. Kotaku. Okay. Well, um, for those of you that I'm uh, are now screaming at your um, digital device that plays this show, um, please send all complaints to info at the other kind radio dot com. That's info at the other radio other kind radio dot com. I almost fell off my horse there. Speaking of horses. Um, our first headline is uh, in regards to uh, a developer of a game that's coming out. It's going to be a pretty big title. Red Dead Redemption 2 has been in development for a long time. And I want to say the the original Red Dead uh, Redemption, that was a, that was a uh, Xbox 360 title? I've always wondered that. I, I played the the one previous to this and i always thought did it have a pre uh, one before that or was the one it's it only two in the series now? there's only two in the series so the original one oh, was okay. I, mis- I misunderstood then yeah came out on the xbox 360 i know because it's backwards compatible and i just was able to look that up um and this game is basically um i always compared it to grand theft auto but in western in western gear you, I think that's fair. Yeah, you still drive around, ride your horse, and kill things and everything. But it's a, it's a deep game. It's a huge what they call sandbox, meaning that you don't have to follow a linear path. You can go do whatever you want. So anyway, it's a um, huge title, and uh, along the headlines, they started to come out some trickling of uh, information that the developers who are making this game are being forced to work 100-hour weeks. And I thought it was kind of funny that this article actually goes into quite a bit what a 100-hour week is. And it, it made me think, because Todd and I have worked in this industry for, in the industry we do for a lot of a lot of years, and I remember my first 100-hour week, and of course that is 100 hours, that's you know double 40-hour week, add another 20. Um, which is means very long days, 16, 17 hour days, uh, sometimes uh, longer. Do you remember your first 100 hour week? You know, this is going to sound kind of odd, but I, I graduated from Full Sail, which we talked about before. And one thing that Full Sail, at least when I went there, really hung their hat on was that they forced you to work odd hours and do odd things so that they knew what the industry demands of you right right so I, I do remember that being the first four and i was like god can i do this and and i got very used to it but yeah my first was a commercial shoot and it was it was about a uh, probably about a six day shoot and it was just like oh my god yeah. every day it was just morning tonight you went home slept six hours you came right back oh man yeah there were there were crappy days back in the day when we worked for when we worked at the same company um i did a show in canada and this is the longest time I've ever been up, but I was up for 36 hours straight. Oh, God. And it was awful. And uh, there's a guy that I work with now in the industry uh, who's been around for a long time. His name's Mike. And he, he clued me into one thing um, a couple years back. Those days where you have to work a full 24 hours and then get up and, and go right back to work, he says those days aren't, that isn't the day to worry about. The day that's the hardest is the day after so you work 24 hours straight you get six hours of sleep go to work you know for 10 hours or whatever and then the next day you wake up he goes that's when your whole system shuts down because it's it's uh you know just even more difficult to get up and run around entirely true and what when i saw this article i couldn't help but think the company i work for now has uh, in our we have in our office and in the main office they have many of these but a room that's dedicated if you need to take time to sleep right so I couldn't help but wonder if this company did not have a number of sleep rooms where these people were simply going there and sleeping for three and four hours and then getting up and working. Right. And and for, for those people that aren't familiar with both the industry that Todd and I are in or the gaming industry, you know, you have a deadline and you have to meet that deadline. And that means you have to get a lot of work done. 
But anyway, so it comes out, and, and people started talking about Rockstar is working their employees too hard. And then Rockstar did an interesting thing from their HR department. They sent out an inter, uh, communication to all their employees saying, hey, normally we don't like you commenting about your job on social media, but you know what? Go right ahead. And so we got these lovely gems from um, uh, Keith Thorburn. Uh, he writes, <clears throat> first off, this is one of the most rewarding and least stressful projects I've worked on. Really? <laughs> really? Okay. Um, and he works in the music department, so maybe that's that has something to do with it. Nothing against musicians. Sorry. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll slow my roll. <laughs> I'm getting a nonverbal communication that's very clear from Todd right now. Um, and he wrote, <clears throat> I know what Epic Crunch feels like, but this was managed in such a way I felt happy and healthy. Now, I think that's the first tweet where happy and healthy were, in the, were in the same, in the message. Nobody says, nobody says, Hey man, how you doing? It's usually like F and S I've worked a right. hundred hour a week. Nobody says, well, Todd, I feel happy. I feel happy and healthy. If I told Todd that I felt happy and healthy, he would slowly start dialing for the men in jackets to come take me away. And they and they'd be or like, I'd vomit, I'd vomit immediately. <laughs> You'd vomit, and then well, that would get confusing if the guys in jackets with the straight jackets showed up. They're like, who who do we take? And we both be pointing at each other. <laughs> I think the truth is they would always look at the both of us and say, it doesn't matter, we'll take them both. Right, right. Oh, that's funny. So obviously that statement to me seems very uh, scripted, you know. I don't I don't disagree, and I, I, I did think it was a little suspicious, number one. I don't know why they felt that they needed to get ahead of this. I don't, I you know, I it was a very odd thing to come out because most of these things, you know, when you talk about deadlines, and I think that may be an interesting topic eventually that we should get into deeper because I've always thought when it comes to art and and I do hold things such as music, filmmaking, and the creation of video games. I, create, I, I hold it as an art. And when you start applying deadlines to that, now I at the same time, at the same time, and this even gets into what we're going to talk about in the main yeah. thing today, this is show business. Yeah. Anyone that gets into show business has to understand this is not about your art and your art alone. It is a business they they put money behind it they need to remake their money however you know you hear so often about films being up against deadlines and the, and the film falls short because they had to crunch things and really suffer for it and the companies are not willing to push dates back you hear of developers pushing games back i almost kind of thought you know yes i want to play this game yeah i'm excited about this game i'm kind of po that i have my arm in a sling i can't play this game until i'm out of my sling but I, at the same time, I thought, why why did this arbitrary data, we have to get it out here? It has to be about that they need the, the money numbers to hit the books before the end of the year so that they can report that. It yeah. has to be. It, it's set by people who don't have to work 100-hour weeks to make it happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're like, ah, Tuesday. Next Tuesday sounds good. All right, I'm, I'm going to go get on my boat and, uh, I don't know, definitely not work for a couple of days, and we'll see you then. <laughs> So just interesting. I mean, the the, the XPR um, XPR professional that worked for Rockstar was quoted as saying that working for for Rockstar was like having a gun to your head. So interesting, and in this day and time where social media is so big, I just think that's interesting and worth noting that uh, um, that they're trying to put some some type of spin on it and keep things popular. But you know, um, I, I from from working in our industry, I would hit tip of the cap. To all those uh, people that are working so hard, even the ones in the music department, and uh, I look forward to playing uh, the game and, and enjoying their their uh, their hard work. So I'm going to throw in one final thing to that. I, yeah. What I thought about the whole thing is that usually a company is going to step in and simply say, "You may not speak about your experience here while working on the game." Right. That will be handled by the PR forward-facing element. <clears throat> Someone who does speak against it would probably then be fired, and the company would come out and say, "Obviously, this this employee is no longer with us." And you can see that there are some some bad feelings here. It's understandable. We work very hard at the, you know, they do that kind of thing. Right. It's just very odd then that they came back instead yeah. with this weird, hey, I love it here. Right. I, it, weird. Everything's fine. We are happy. <laughs> yeah. All right. That leads us to our next headline that wasn't as loud as I wanted to be, but we record live, so we'll keep going. Todd's got a headline. Todd, what's going on in your headline? 
My headline is about Netflix canceling uh, the Marvel TV shows of Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I oh, boy. Stop. Okay, sorry. The, yes, malfunction. That, that, that was like a flash mob that showed up to celebrate my headline. I didn't know they were behind me. It scared the crap out of me. Um, so I've said before, I, I have a little bit of tired, tired head when it comes to superheroes, and I'm a lover of the superhero genre. However, I never watched Iron Fist because the last show that Marvel did that disappointed me was the first season of Luke Cage. I think the actor, and I'm, I don't have time to pull that up because I'm right. a one-handed pumper and I'm not going to make everybody wait. That actor who does Luke Cage, I think, has a ton of presence. I'm glad that he'll probably still be around because of the Jessica Jones series. He's involved in that. And right. if they continue on with the uh, whatever they're you know, foursome is. I for, now forget. Right. I, I'm glad I'll get to see him. But when I watched it, and I know a lot of people got very excited because it harkened back to the black exploitation films of the '70s and had a lot of that. I felt that that was so forced in that season, so forced that every time it came about, there was no room for the characters to breathe in this world we have today. Yeah. It was a constant. I got to shove a little bit more of this in. I. It was so ham-fisted that I. That's when I said I'm done with those. I'll, yeah. I'll continue probably to watch Daredevil, which comes out this week, and I hear great things about. Um, and Jessica Jones, I think that actress is amazing. I'm kind of glad to see somebody in that, like Netflix not saying we got to stick with it, yeah. but instead cut it back. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the other people out there that, that control the other comic book properties say, look, we're going to try these things, but when they don't work, we will cut it back. We don't feel the need to just keep pushing. Very well said. I, I think they do. I agree that Netflix ringing, you know, ringing it back or, or, or kind of reining things in. Uh, it's a good thing because there's so much content on there. But I have one question for you before we move on, and that is Iron Fist. Like, what's his deal? Well, I, I'll be honest, and I wish I had my co-host of Men of the Apes right behind me to give me the information. Iron Fist. He just he punches stuff? I really don't know his story. I know that when you get down to what Marvel has with Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist, these right. are not the cream of the crop top. No. Here. In fact, Daredevil, as to my knowledge, in a lot of ways is kind of a Batman-ish yes. figure. Um, he's blind and has the powers. The only reason I believe he ever got elevated to the point of public consciousness really was when Frank Miller, the great writer yes. and, and uh, artist, took over and did a series with him. Yes. And that really pushed him out there and people knew about him. Right. Iron Fist, as best I know, has some kind of, I don't, I didn't watch that series. I didn't care, but his fist like lights up and he hits people. <laughs> but it also got a lot of backlash, I believe, because they expected to have an Asian actor cast oh, in wow. that role, and it, or at least of Asian descent, or there needed to be something like that. And forgive me if you're comic book fans out there, and I'm saying it wrong. You know what I mean, though. I'll say it. I, I, he and Aquaman are like battling for like the worst superpower superhero thing. Like they, I could see them hanging out and like you know. Aquaman going, what'd you do today? And he's like, oh, I'm going to punch some stuff. And then he'd say, what did you do, Aquaman? And Aquaman's like, I talked to some fish. Hey, dear, hang on. No, no, Jeff didn't just put down your, your main face. It's okay. it's okay. No, don't get mad at Jeff. It's okay. I know you think he's gorgeous. It's okay. <laughs> yes, that guy that's going to play him is uh, definitely going to be bringing um, a, uh, a lot to the screen and I say that all in jest but I, I just don't know Iron Fist and maybe we'll have uh, your friends from the comic books and we can talk about that one time I, you know that we've talked about that before we do need to make that happen We're, and let's mark this down as when we get there of course they'll they'll groan when I say see I told you everybody was getting tired of comic book superheroes they canceled them yeah let's ask them what Iron Fist is and, and it'll be Richard <laughs> Richard is just a wealth of information about comic books all right, we're going to continue to move right along. Get that projector out. Oh, yeah. Love that sound. All right, it's time for Todd's take on. Todd, what's your take on this week? Well, my take harkens back to probably a film that truly formed a lot of my love of, of horror. And that would be 2018's release of Halloween. Oh, I was going to go. I was going to go with Citizen Kane. Damn it! All right, go ahead. Well, you know, we'll get into that one day, and I'll simply say here are the here are the 20 films that I can d definitely say are the, are the ones. But Halloween, I saw that in '78 when I was a kid. My dad took me to the Rialto Theater in Denison. It just terrified me, but I walked to the thrilled and needed to see more. So I've always loved the Halloween films. 
any sequel to the original, you you look at it and you think, okay, it's good, it's fun. Eh. I'm I'm going to give a mini review because Jeff is never really going to share with me a love of horror, and we're never probably going to break down a film together that is a horror film. Correct, Jeff? That is correct. But I have a piece of trivia that I bet by when you're done with your review that you will not know. Oh, oh let's this try took, it. This took okay. this took a long time, but yes, tell us tell us about the movie. So basically. I'm going to read IMDb as I always do. Lori Strode, the main character, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, comes to her final confrontation with Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. Now, what the, the writer and the director wanted to do is they said, please forget all the films that came in between because ours, we intend this to be, is none of those happen, and this is the direct sequel. I'm going to ask them a question. Could you now go back in time and act like your film never happened and that only one film was ever made and that'd be the 78? Your film is fun. It harkens to and it has a ton of callbacks and a lot of notes that hit perfectly. However, what hit me by the end of the film is I thought 1978's film stands as a perfect example of the slasher genre that this film created. You know, you, you can look at the Friday 13th and all these films came subsequently to this the original film should have ended after the first one because it's a perfect example of how to create a boogeyman and the boogeyman never dies. It's a perfect, perfect, perfect example if that film is the only one. This film is unnecessary. Is it fun? Yes. Is it shot well? Yes. Are there scares? There, one of the, the moments with Michael stalking someone is probably amongst my favorite they've ever used that character. I thought it was beautifully shot. This film is so unnecessary, it's not even funny. You don't need to wrap this up. It's more fun to think of that Mike has never, Michael has never caught. And if you go back to John Carpenter's original intent, what he originally wanted was to make this film. And if they made subsequent ones, it would have nothing to do with the previous one. It would be a totally different story, which if you then look at Halloween 3, that's exactly what he did. And it failed famously, but now it's kind of revered by some people as a better film than it originally got credit right. for. So. That's my, my take. It's going to make a ton of money. You're going to probably enjoy it. But all I ask is that you think, is it really necessary? That's so interesting because I think anytime filmmakers, you have a, you have a series like that, and then you have these, the director and the writers come out, and they're like, hey, can you pretend that the other movies didn't? No, you can't. Be creative. Write it in. Say that, you know, blah, 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 or something. Because then, you, you know, the number one, <clears throat> the most important factor in anything you do when it comes to that type of uh, artistry is your audience. And when you start asking them to do that kind of stuff that they're naturally going to be against, I think it puts a strain on them. I don't want to go to a movie and have them say, hey, now just remember that those other movies didn't. You know, it's like, well, no, I've already seen them all. But I guess they're trying to do kind of a fresh start. So I think that's <clears throat> a great point. Um, I do think that the film has some fun with that because – if you've seen these films in, in Halloween 2, they make it out that Lori was actually adopted and she is the sister of Michael Myers. Oh, spoiler alert. And then he is now stuck in her, which, I, you know, really, if you're going to evolve a story, that's right. at least an interesting idea. However, in this, uh, Lori's granddaughter is walking with her friends and one of the, the guy they know who Lori is and she's kind of estranged from her grandmother, but the kid says, you know, isn't she like, michael myers sister and she's and the little girl says no that's just a folklore everybody made up so they at least have fun with that uh, okay Good. but I, I totally agree it's just one of those i thought if anything could you somehow erase my memory of the previous right. ones and just say that one's it's perfect nugget the first one is an excellent film it doesn't need all this so uh for those kind of listeners that uh you know are are, are saving up some of their dollars going to go see something in the theater do you do you see this in the theater or do you save it when it comes out on itunes or whatever I would save it. I, it, okay. it is not a theater experience. Um, I, I was wholly disappointed, but that's partially my expectations. I, I guess if you want to see a scary movie, go see it. Okay. If you <laughs> want to see a great scary movie, with the original. No. And now some trivia that I don't think Todd will know. So Mike Myers in Halloween has a mask. Mm -hmm. Did you know that that mask, you know the origin of that mask? Well, I know who the mask is. Who's the mask? William Shatner. Yes. So you you did you did know it. That doesn't uh, that doesn't surprise me. <clears throat> um, so yeah, the mask that Mike Myers wears was a cast of done of William Shatner, and they didn't have a lot of money, so they just went in and grabbed it and cut some eye, cut the eyes out and did a few things and did this and that. So that really is William Shatner's face of Mike Myers. 
I think that they was... spray painted it white. You got that exactly right, though. That that's exactly why they did it and what they did to it. Well, I'm glad. I'm I'm glad I I didn't put like a ton of money on it. Speaking of ton of money, have you been following any of this uh, stuff with the uh, Mega Millions? You know, I have. <clears throat> uh, my wife and I are not regular players of lotteries, but I, when it gets to that point. She, the funny thing is, she knows I can't drive, and she's like, "Are you going to go buy a ticket?" I'm like, "Are you going to drive me there?" <laughs> but, you know, we we start playing when it becomes obscenely large amounts. And one, money. yeah, one point six billion right now is obscene. Uh, you know, most of the time, if you win a, I don't know, a seven hundred million dollar lottery, and you take the cash option, they take you know a huge chunk of it out. But it was just amazing to notice one point six million dollars. Your take-home cash, if you do the cash cash option, is nine hundred and six million dollars or something like that. Just crazy, it, it is crazy, and and every time that Shelly and I ever do this, we we constantly say to each other because, and it's the truth, we are not the kind of people that are going to live high on the hog. It's, and I'm sure everybody has this conversation. Do I really need nine hundred? You know, I would simply look if they could just construe this where I could get ten million, so I could pay off all my debts, yeah. things that my kid goes to college. But we have that conversation, yeah. which is absurd to begin with, because we're not going to go to the lottery commission. And go, hey, just give us ten million. Yeah, we'll be fine if you just give us ten million. Just ten million just 10 million it is it is kind of crazy and then you know you always have the conversation with uh your friends and family about what you would do if you want and and it, and it is weird it's just a little it's just a little strange so um good luck to everybody out there playing i know i'll pick up a ticket and uh we'll see if we can't have our first uh, billion dollar lotto winner and then uh Hopefully they'll manage it well. Folks, they always say if you win the lottery, the first thing you need to do is get a lawyer. So do that. That's your kind listener factoid of the day. We shared a conversation with friends the other night about it. And the funny thing was Shelly went through everything she would spend the money on. And then she, and then she said, and then I'd get a lawyer. And everybody went, um, sweetheart, I need to flip this paradigm. I'll tell you what, I'd build us a big studio. Amen. I'd build you a cannon so every Sunday morning you would have to climb into the cannon and be shot here. Or we could do like a pneumatic tube. Do you think that's a real good idea with me and my shoulder if you shoot me out of a cannon? Oh, no. Well, the first thing I do is I have your arm removed and put a robotic one on. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't like where this is going. I really don't. (laughs) It did turn a little dark there. I apologize. Um, Jeff's judgment. All I'm going to say real quick because we're we are uh, we are on un, uh, off schedule and um, today's show is going to be a little shorter. But I just want to give an update. It's been a week that I've been playing Call of Duty 4's Blackout, which is the battle royale version. I've been watching the statistics, and I have to say uh, on Twitch, Fortnite is still getting a lot of views. Call of Duty is generally higher. But uh, the people that were saying that Fortnite was going to, you know, eat dirt after it was released, after uh, Call of Duty was released, um, still not uh, happening, which is good. I don't I don't want bad things to happen for Epic. For me, the gameplay and everything is fantastic. Um, I'm really enjoying that game. It's a first person versus third person view. And I grew up on on first person shooters. So. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun playing it, so tip of the cap to all the producers and hard work, uh, all the 100-hour weeks that the um, uh, the people that produce this game uh, put into it, and uh, keep up the good work. I, I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, what they're going to do going down the road. All right, let's go ahead and head on down to center stage. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. Pretty good. So that's uh, that's a really good scene, and of course we're talking about the movie that was just re- uh, released and is uh, at the top of the charts. It's uh, A Star is Born, uh, featuring, and actually I'll let Todd, do you have the tail of the tape up in front of you, or do I need to go get that for you? No, I got a lot. Let, okay. Let's start at the fact that this is the fourth time Hollywood has t- told this story. The original is 1937. Uh, with Janet Gator. The second was 1954, Judy Garland and James Mason, which for the longest time was considered to be the best. 
We then had 1976 version with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, leading us to 2018, in which Bradley Cooper takes over the reins, not only as the lead actor, but as writer and director of the project and bringing on Lady Gaga. And this is a film that is about a musician who helps a young singer find fame, even as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. The, the film is one of those stories that probably needs to be told every few years. And I do believe in that kind of idea that there, there are these works of art that we need to see again and again, and that when you bring them into today's moment, they can say something close about what we do to achieve what we do when we put someone on a pedestal, these kind of things. I'm going to go ahead and jump in right there and say, I think that's probably where the film exceeds exponentially beyond what I expected it to. Right. It has very deep and meaningful things to say about what fame is. Why do we seek fame? What fame does to us, what others will do to help us achieve it and what we will do to manipulate the moment. But it also has something to say that we don't, as a society, care about the people when we're tired of them. Because it does tell you, look, you're going to get there, and you're going to have it, and it's not going to last forever. And it, that's true of life in any moment. Happiness comes so fleetingly that it's the, the, the truly boring moments that tell us what our life is. We live, John, John Lennon famously said that life is about what happens while you're busy making other plans. And Bradley Cooper's yeah. character is almost that to a T. Fame has already exceeded him. It's sort of put him in a, not even a tailspin, just in a place off by itself because anywhere the man goes, people recognize him. He doesn't have a moment of peace, but he's also not the hip star of the moment. Right. So that leads us to the fact that he meets this young lady. You know, it's also that this guy who's kind of lost in the world needs his own revitalization. And in, in that he sees her in a... Uh, I guess a gay cabaret bar is kind of what you would call that bar when yeah. you first see. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of guys dressing up as uh, women and doing a cabaret show, but they allow her to come in, the Lady Gaga character. Uh, Allie, I think is her name. She, they used allow to, her to, she used to waitress there. Right. Yeah. And they allow her because they know she can sing, and she's the only one that doesn't lip sync. She actually sings La Bien Rose or whatever that song is, which my daughter immediately told me, I love this song. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Abby, that, I have such a cool kid. She'll find all these songs that i'm like you know that song but you know she nails it she she's just amazing and bradley is just enamored with her right away which leads to that scene that you just played for us <clears throat> okay so let's get to the real the real meat of the situation who did you go with i went with my daughter my wife flat out tells me i don't need to see things that are sad she has never seen one of the stars born films yeah but what shelly doesn't want is to she she doesn't find meaning and truth in hey everything dies oh here comes my Springsteen moment everything dies baby that's a fact she doesn't she doesn't like that she right. doesn't want to look at death and she's like i don't want to be sad so i took my daughter and she loves lady gaga and now she is absolutely gaga over bradley cooper too right all right second question what did you get to eat i'm pretty sure just go with popcorn yeah, I'm I'm always a popcorn and a coke. So how did you how did you get there? Did you Uber it? Did you take a lift? My wife dropped us off. We literally were like two little kids going to the movie theater, and she's like, "Y'all have fun." It was a cold, rainy night here in in Dallas, Texas. I mean, it was we we've been flooded with rain here of late, and we had to run through it. And here was me with the robo arm and nice cutting our way through. And I even had a moment, I, a, an offshoot. I, I, I asked the kind listener, if you ever end up in one of these little apparatuses like I have on myself, notice that almost daily some stranger comes up and goes, oh, I hope the other one lo looks worse than you do. Everybody feels the need to do that. And Good that Lord. Night, yeah, somebody always says something to me that night. It was a young girl going, well, I hope that the other person is as banged up as you are. And I was like, okay, you're 12 and you're asking me this question. <laughs> and we, you know, so we go along. But it, yes, it was it was popcorn and a diet coke. It's a little bit, a little of a punch in the gut. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, uh, getting, getting back into the film, I went and saw this with my girlfriend and, um, it's definitely uh, a chick flick. I could tell real quickly that it was a chick flick, which is fine. And I'm not trying to label or hashtag anything. I'm just saying it's a movie that's, that's written, uh, I think towards that, that particular 
uh, group of people. I say that because based on what uh, most films, uh, you know, like just like The Rock, any movie with The Rock in it, when he's building, exploding, generally is going to be, you know, guys are going to go on and see that. Um, the reason why I bring that up is you so brilliantly said in this very short conversation we had uh, earlier was this was a movie you liked that you really wanted to love. And that's exactly. That's exactly right. Yes, and and, and I'm, I'm stealing that from you because that's exactly what it is. Um, there are some great performances. I like what Bradley did. His I think his his camera work while he's on stage performing to me was a little too um, wibbly wobbly. Gave me a little a little uh, nausea because it was. I know I get it. He was he's. He's trying to convey and communicate the the rock and roll performing and while being drunk or on pills, kind of the swimmy swarmy kind of blurred vision and everything. I get it. I just for me it was a little too much, but I really liked the fact, and it was one of the times I leaned over and, and said something when Andrew Dice Clay comes on screen. Um, I brilliant, brilliant uh, casting there. I know there's a guy that that himself almost is the star in the movie who had immense s success and is, you know, maybe not doing as well as he could be because of some of the choices he made. Then later in the film, Dave Chappelle makes an appearance. Another comedian who had the most popular comedic show or, or variety show uh, on television was commanding a huge salary and, and very well-to-do, and then he kind of just walked away. He needed some time to figure things out. So again, another superstar where fame has now taken over their life and they have to reset. And I think those are important examples because unlike Bradley Cooper's um, character and what happens at the end of him, he didn't get that chance to reset. Um, so I like the, the parallels there and the play on you know the actors that are in the movie versus the uh, story that's being told about this particular performer. I, that's an excellent catch that I didn't even grab, that those two performers are perhaps exactly what Bradley Cooper is in the story. Those men truly are. Right. Um, I, I think the casting in the film, to a T, is perfect. Yeah. There's, you know, Sam Elliott as the brother is, yes. God, that guy, I could just sit back and watch even bad films he's in, I'm interested. Right. So I, I, there are quite a few things here, and I want to make sure that I touch on at least a couple that you say. The camera work, I, I'm going to actually differ with you that sure. on stage, except for one exception, is I think fantastic because Bradley did learn to play guitar. He already knows how to play piano. I've read that from some notes. Right. He's not a guitar soloist. And as a person who plays guitar and can play a little lick here and there but cannot solo, he did a brilliant job of masking something that drives me insane and i'm this is going to lead me back to one of the point of where the movie lost me okay he covered his inability to do those solos by i'm sure he and the camera operator talked about it. he said because every time he goes to solo he said i want you to go in tight mm -hmm. i want you to kind of focus on the mid part of the neck of the guitar and let's also work with backlights hitting and flooding the lens to where you can't see my fingers there is a point in the film when he gets on the stage at this gay cabaret bar and plays his one massive hit. He seems to be asked everywhere right. we go, which, as a side note, is written, written by my man crush, Jason Isbell, who hmm. did If We Were Vampires, wrote the song for him. That, that moment in the film has a moment where you the camera's back there and his fingers are, are supposed to be picking. They are so incredibly wrong to what's supposed to be happening. Oh, boy. And it was like, oh, oh, oh stop. Now... My next comment, chick flicks. You're absolutely right. It is a chick flick because I think that you probably perfectly surmised that there are guy flicks. I, I like any film that's executed well. Yeah. I like romantic comedies. I like all of them. And I want, like I said, I wanted to love this film, but it didn't. And it comes down to that moment in the parking lot, which I do think is a beautiful moment. Right. Subsequently, what happens is he brings her a couple of days later to one of his concerts. And he is not only. Yeah not only ready to sing it with her but he's written an arrangement of it and i'm like okay i as a musician right and i know a lot of musicians and i know some that are those kind of you'll you'll hum something to and two days later they've got it he's drunk yeah in this scene yep. he has nothing going on 
and he has remembered her melody line yeah. so well and her lyric line that he's written a verse from his perspective. He's arranged it and she's ready to sing it. It is such a movie moment because it's so unrealistic. It really now, is. this also ends up being uh, an indie artist named Nico Case, who is formerly of the New Pornographers, which is a, a band. She just blasted Bradley Cooper on Twitter <gasps> for this very aspect, which is pretty uncool for any artist to blast yeah, another artist. It is a movie, oh. folks. That's exactly it. I want to say, okay, honey, I know what you want is you want a documentary about people like this. It's a movie. He does a fine job with it. Here's how he could have fixed that problem. And I thought right away, he's drunk. Why don't you go, hang, hang on, get out his phone, and go sing that again yeah. and record it. There you go. If he'd had that, then he could have written it. It's right. such an easy fix. It was one of those that I was like, and from that moment on, you know how it is when when there's a moment where you know the true realism of a moment yep and the movie cannot mask it for you and from that point on i was so unfairly scrutinizing everything yeah that it really led to the other element of the film which i did not like and that is the editing mm. i could not stand the editing of this film it uses what I, I don't know a name for it i've not read any dissection of this but there's a very hip current thing where we don't play to the normal ex expected beats of a film okay so in other words bradley cooper's character goes through some hard times and we don't see the lady gaga character hearing about what happens to him we only see days later when she reacts to it yeah. and it really in this kind of film i think you i think you can do those if you've at least allowed one or two moments where i feel that with her we she is our our vessel through this and especially somebody that's had a friend who succumbed to addiction yeah and is no longer with us i know that pain and what i wanted from that moment was she she needed the moment her character needed the moment of hearing about it now all they had to do was cut away the moment she could have widened her eyes and cut away and it would have broken our hearts but yeah. they don't give us that you know you just hit the nail on the head there because i i also was disengaged i no longer was was viewing and and absorbing a story i was watching a movie i was very conscious of the fact that i was sitting in a theater and i was watching a movie um, and the example I think of is there's this scene where they're, uh, she's in the bathtub and he says some awful things to her and he's drunk and, and, and then it's almost like a hard cut and then she's at the studio d dance rehearsal and then he's like, I'm really sorry. I said some really mean things. And I agree with you. You never get that feeling of, of a transition. It's too quick and you know. The other thing I wanted to ask you about that was interesting was Bradley Cooper's mimicking of um, what's-his-face's voice. I can't remember his name. Sam Elliott. Yeah, Sam Elliott's voice. What What did you – I mean, I understand why it was whole, oh, the whole guys that that's who he t looked up to and, and, and saw as a father, even though he was his brother and everything. But what did you think about that element? Because it, for, it took me a while to get used to it. I, I I, I honestly loved it because what I love of an actor, I what I can't stand of an actor, let, let me actually say that. And Samuel L. Jackson is probably the prime example of this. I like him, <laughs> but every film he's in, and I've said this before on the show, yeah. he talks just like this. <laughs> right, right, right. And only once here of late, in fact, I just watched Goodfellas the other day, and he has a minor supporting mm -hmm. role, and he's very soft-spoken. I thought, oh, there's the actor I wish he was. And then when he was in the... Uh, Hateful Eight, wasn't that the Tarantino yep, film? Yep. He actually changes his cadence. And I thought, oh, that's what I like. So I love yeah. actors that disappear and create new elements that are not them. So I don't feel like, oh, it's just Bradley Cooper. And I did like exactly what you said. Right. They're brothers, so they would probably genetically be predisposed to that same kind of voice. Okay. And I could see that if he's doing that, he's probably emulated it to the point now where his vocal cords are almost worn to that point where he can't do anything else. Right. Did you catch the very touching moment when he gets out of rehab and Elliot's uh, dropping him off and he gets out of the truck and he stands there with the door open and he, and he says that great line about, you know, it was never my father that I was looking up to. It was you. Oh, yeah. If you go back and review that scene, he changes his voice back to his normal voice in that scene. Oh, now, now. OK, now when it's finally on HBO or whatever. Yes. I will jump to that scene just to see that. And and it's a it's a long setup, right? Because most of the movie he's using Sam Elliott's voice, and but I picked up on it immediately because I could I was like, ooh, that's that's his voice. So in his most honest moment, communicating with his brother, he drops the facade and tells him this very important loving thing. And let me tell you about a shot because this did get me. 
uh, gets me a little bit right now. So he says that in his normal voice and closes the door and goes into the house. We're still, camera's still in the, in the vehicle with Sam Elliott. And rather than editing or doing a different shot transition and shooting up maybe at Elliot and seeing tears in his eyes, the camera holds. We see Sam Elliott do what everybody does when you're driving a pickup truck. You put your arm behind the, the passenger seat and you look back to check, you know, I'm doing it now, getting off microphone, uh, to look back to when you start back up. And when he turns around and we finally get to see his face, his eyes are you know, red and there, and he's crying. And I thought, man, what a great reveal for an emotion instead of just doing the, okay, now we're going to get the shot of you. Okay, Sam, start crying. They said, no, let's hold it and then let it be revealed to the audience. And I thought that was, that was pretty good. And that's really where my frustration of liking it, not loving it comes in. Cause I think Cooper as a writer and director yeah, does fantastic work at moments. I, I see those moments and, and I, I, I don't in my immediate memory recall the tears, but I remember the anguish in his face. Yeah. And I thought that is so smart to let the moment play with this character in realistic time. Right. And his, that's what I'm talking about where you, you don't have the emotional beats that work that resonated because we're allowed and you don't have to play it for big dramatic context. You're just allowing the character to be. And I'm going to go back to what you said about that moment in the dance rehearsal. I totally agree with you, Jeff, because, Again, I've been a part of fights with somebody that is an addict and almost can't control themselves. So I've seen those moments when my friend would say horribly ugly things to me who I know he thought of me as a brother. Right. And I knew it was I knew it was a disease and not him. Now, when we then come forward and she's just rehearsing and she's as far as we can tell, we think it's she's fine. That makes me immediately because you don't allow the development of this scene to carry to the next. It almost makes me think. Is this what two weeks later she's right. kind of has she moved out? What to me what should happen is somebody should be going, hey, Allie, you got to come on on the beat, and she's like, I'm sorry, my mind's not here, yes. my mind's not here. Yes, and and then somebody comes up and goes, listen, I know you're having, I know you haven't been home in a week, I know. Right. And then he shows up, and that that has context. If he's you know, or maybe he's back in a room, and you don't play it in that room, then you let her be removed from it. It's just so. Hey, this happened here. We're going to resolve it. And it was like, what? What? <laughs> it was because he did say these horrible things. And the fact that uh, for that hard edit to be made, I I was, you know, of course, when you watch something like that, you're like, man, if I said those things to my better half, I would be, I, it must have been weeks because there's no way like the next day I'm going to pop in while she's rehearsing and go, hey, man. So, sorry I was a dick. <laughs> sorry I was yeah. a butthead. And um, so, you know, lunch? No. You know, it's you have to be let back in. You have to get permission. You got to make sure that everything has been repaired. Some time to to to, uh, to repair the damage. But um, uh, it definitely was a moment, like you said, that kind of took me out. Um, I um, Before I get your final thoughts, I would recommend going and seeing this in a, in a theater. I thought it was looked nice. There, there, there are some shots, kind of like the one that I played earlier where she's singing to him. They're sitting in this parking lot. It's late at night, and they're just kind of hanging out. I thought that was that was kind of a nice uh, romantic-esque, even though they're sitting on the pavement in the parking lot, um, which is kind of disgusting. But um, it, it lends itself to, to set the mood. Um, I'm curious your thoughts uh, and, and final words on A Star is Born. Well, I want to answer one more thing that I proposed in this, and this will lead to my final thoughts, and that you talked again about the camera work. The only time the camera work truly made me go stop was in her final performance. And this is a, a trope of these films, and it always oh. leads to that the woman has her moment alone, yeah. and she's on stage. It, it obviously is a movie moment. And really, when you get down to it, this film is a musical. It really is. You, you have to understand the characters are emoting and saying each, things to each other through music. It's just different than West yeah. Side Story, by the way. This moment at the end is truly a musical because she is surmising everything she's felt. That camera has one movement, one movement, and it starts behind her, and it kind yeah. of wobbles around to her front yeah. and pushes in <laughs> and goes back and goes back to her back. And it does it like 18 times. And finally, in the middle, they cut back to when they were happier. The, yes. the lyrics evoke that. I wish in that moment, I was like, please just go back to when they were happier and show me a litany <laughs> of that. Don't go. Uh, and then went, oh, no, they're back to that camera shot. And they did it all over again. Wow. So, yeah, this film came out to a ton of buzz. This film did the festival scene and everybody went and went Gaga for Star is Born with Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. 
I see why they were excited. I, I think that she shows a presence that surprised me. I, I told Jeff, I think there are moments where I'm like, oh, she has depth. And then there were moments where her acting was like acting yeah. 101. And it was like, oh, 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 bad. I think both of these people, Bradley Cooper showed me depth that I didn't expect. And that's both as writer, director, and especially as actor. Yeah. I hope to see his subsequent films. And I hope he learns that drama needs moments for the audience to breathe. Yeah. And this this that's, is his first film? That's his first film. Okay. Well, yeah, there you go. And and I think that if he can go back, you know, and it is hard when you create something to look at it with a a fair eye. You're always going to see the problems. I hope he can go back and go, oh, man, I should have allowed that character a moment to be in the emotion that I've just created for that character. Yeah. And I think if he could learn that, he could be a very, very good dramatic actor. I'm the director, excuse me. I, I, I agree with you, and I think that's a very good assessment of it. I, I would uh, ask you to let the kind listener know, uh, do you do you go see this in the theater, or you wait till it comes out? Wow. Um, my, my rule with a 15-year-old kid, you know, I don't get out as often, doesn't need to be on a big screen to be felt. And I, I okay. personally think you could see this at home on a, as long as you have a fairly large TV that you can shut the lights off and be focused on it I, th I think it's fine at home it, it, get out there if you can it does have some good moments and you, if you've never seen these films you may love it it's your first time with the story you may love it beyond what jeff and i are saying absolutely and i, I do we always say that when we cover this stuff please go out watch it get your own opinion and then you know let us know uh, what you think or where you agree or disagree we're just two we're just two guys with microphones and a podcast but real important thing is is for you to go out there i definitely think it's worth seeing and, and to enjoy the film because uh, todd has done such a great job in in educating me about you know hey the important thing is did you like it do you like it i think too much of the time we we, we want other people to tell us what we should like you know I mean, that goes back to what I said earlier about Halloween, too. You know, my preferences, I like this. Right. It's going to work for some people and it didn't work for me. <clears throat> Don't let other people decide for you what you think is good art. Experience it. Learn from it. It's what I've loved about Jeff with this whole experience has been that you wanted that information to understand where I was coming from. Yeah. And I and I think conceitedly that I have at least changed your perception on that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh a good thought. All right, folks, I know we're uh, we're up against the clock, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get us out of here. Um, we didn't talk about Todd's homework. We'll talk about that next week. Next week is going to be an episode solely dedicated to Halloween. We're going to talk about films, what we like. Feel free to email us and contact us at... Um, uh, our email addresses or Twitter. Tell us what are some of your Halloween episodes. Todd, did you have one last thing you wanted to add there? I see you. No. No, no. Oh. I'm just already scared because Halloween's coming. <laughs> it is. Right around the corner. Thanks, folks. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm for myself. Todd, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Kind Radio. You know how to listen to us. You know how to get a hold of us. Feel free to do so. Have a good week. We'll be, be we'll be back in your ears again soon. We are the other kind the radio. Other kind radio. Radio. The other kind radio. The other kind radio.